want you to join me this evening in James chapter 2. Over the course of a couple of months, we've been coming to James to be challenged from God's Word on Sunday evenings. And we're going to finish out James chapter 2 tonight with one of the more challenging and perhaps I could even say controversial passages in the Bible. Because James could seem to contradict some of the other penmen of the scripture in what he deals with in the end of James chapter 2. But I hope that as we look at it this evening that it will be clear and that it will challenge us right where we live. There's a gospel song by the title, What Faith does how many of you have heard this song i would imagine some many of you have the song is themed on this idea what faith does and here's the here's the chorus to the song it says faith sees the invisible believes the impossible receives the incredible no matter what was moves the unmovable proves the unprovable for anyone willing to trust believe and you'll see what faith does now the premise of the song is that faith trusting confidence belief does Something. How can faith do something? What is faith? I mean, faith doesn't have hands that it can work with, per se. It doesn't have feet that it can go somewhere with. How can faith do something? And as you follow the song, both the verses and the chorus that I read... When this song talks about faith doing something, it does so primarily related to the idea of believing something and seeing something come to be or come to pass as a result of believing. In other words, kind of the idea is, well, if you believe God for this, He'll do it. But if you don't believe God for it, you won't see it. That's really the idea of the, the song, the premise of the song. Um, I could say it this way. if The song premises the idea that, well, I believe God is going to, to heal my body of this. And then when my body is healed of that, I see that my faith accomplished something. But if I don't believe God for that, then one of two things is possible. Either I won't experience that healing, or I may experience the healing, but I won't necessarily attribute it to God because my faith wasn't in God for it. Does that make sense? That's the idea of the song. 
the early church leader James also says that faith does something. But not in that perspective. He takes a different perspective about what faith does. He, in a sense, literally puts hands and feet to faith. He, his focus isn't on faith in the way that so, the song speaks about. His focus is on what faith produces in and through the life. In other words, his focus is if you are a person of faith, there's going to be evidence of it. Because that faith that you have will produce something in the life. Let's see what he says about it. You're in James chapter 2. And let's look there beginning in verse number 14. And he says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? And then he gives an analogy here. He says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So, it almost seems like he jumps to something else, right? But he's not. He's giving an analogy of what he's just said, okay? If you have faith but don't have works, can faith save him? Let me illustrate that in life. If you have someone come to you, a brother, okay, so speaking in the Christian community. If you have a brother or sister in Christ come to you and it's obvious that they're, they have a need, they're naked, they're, they're lacking clothing, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they don't have food to eat or anything to drink, and this is your response. Brother, I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. I hope you'll find a way to get warm and to get full. I'll pray for you, brother. God bless you. What good have you done? Now you say, well, wait a minute. We should pray for each other, right? Yes, but think about what he's just said earlier. Do you remember what he said in the first 13 verses? About how the church had this problem with those who would come in the gay clothing and clearly wealthy and they'd be given places of prominence while... The needy were told, you know, just go stand over there or take the lower seat. And so he's talking about this reality that if I see someone in need like that and I have the ability to meet that need, and instead of meeting the need, I basically say, well, I'll pray about it. There is a time to pray and there's a time to actually do something. And that's when it's time to actually do something you've not done anything to help that brother okay so he gives this analogy to to illustrate what he said in verse 14 look then if you would verse 17 continuing on even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone yea a man may say thou hast faith and i have works Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. 
But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Wow. It's a full passage. And it is one that Christians over the ages have struggled to get a grasp on. And if you if you start studying, I mean you pull out commentaries and you pull out whether you go to old ancient commentaries or modern commentaries, you will find a plethora of interpretive approaches to this passage. You will find interpretive approaches, including some who view this as a test of genuine faith. In other words, when you read James 2, 14 through 26, he's giving you a test of, are you saved? Using faith in that way. This is speaking of saving faith. You will have some who view this as a test of active faith. Distinguishing between genuine or what we might call alive faith, saving faith, and active faith in a sense of living out or practicing your faith. And so if you, if you view it that way, you would say, James isn't saying that this person is lost, is unsaved, is not truly saved. James is saying, no, this person is saved, but isn't living it out. It isn't, isn't benefiting anyone else, including himself, by living out his faith. Some view it as connected to the first half of the chapter. In other words, James is continuing the thought how would they say that? Well, notice if you would back in verse 13 again. What does James say the person who respects persons, remember? The person who practices that idea of giving the wealthy a high place and basically ignoring the needy people. What does James say that person is going to face, going to ex experience? Judgment. Judgment. Okay, remember, judgment isn't always about judgment of salvation. Okay, you're, you're not, it's not always about you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. It can just simply be the just consequences of our actions. And so when James asks the question, can faith save him? He's not talking about saving faith, I'm going to heaven versus going to hell. He's talking about 
is faith enough to save you from that judgment that you'll face that verse 13 talks about? And then some describe it in terms of justification before men rather than justification before God. So when James talks about this this balance of faith and works, he's relating the fact that you, Anthony you, and Renee you, and Kevin you, and anyone else, you cannot see my faith. Right? You can't see my face. Well, you can see my face, I guess. You can't see my faith. Faith is different than face, Anthony. You can't see my faith. But what you can see is what faith does. You can see the evidences of it. And so some would say James isn't talking about the idea of being justified before God because God can see the heart. He, he knows the faith a person has, whereas men can't. You can only see the outward, the evidence of faith. And so there are a lot of approaches to this passage. Pastor, help me. What is the absolute right interpretation? Tell me. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Regardless of how James intended it to be interpreted or the way you interpret it, we have to address the relationship of faith and works. Because there is a relationship. What is that relationship? If I were going to put it as simply as possible, I would simply give you a passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's a familiar passage, but let's look at it. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul writes these words. For by what? Grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he says this in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So Paul, though there would be some who would say Paul and James seem to contradict each other, seem to conflict with each other, rather than standing face to face opposing each other, some have said it this way, Paul and James stand back to back attacking different enemies. But I think what Paul says here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, mimics, or fits well with what James says in James 2, 14 through 26. How so? Because Paul does describe this relationship of faith and works. And what we see is that Paul is convinced that faith equals salvation plus works. 
not faith plus works equals salvation. Do you see that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? This is a very simplified way of stating it, but this is the Bible truth. Faith equals salvation, but salvation should be accompanied by works, evidence. But we're not talking about faith plus works brings salvation. And notice this in Ephesians 2. In verses 8 and 9, Paul clearly describes salvation as a product of God's grace appropriated by faith without any contributions by man's works. Right? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you remember, Paul would write to the Galatian church and say this, if God's salvation is of grace, it cannot be of works at all. Because once you mix works in with grace, what is grace? It's nothing. It's no longer grace because grace is unmerited favor. Favor given and received without any transaction taking place. Without me paying or giving anything for it, right? But then Paul also says this. If salvation is of works, it can't be of grace whatsoever. They don't mix in that way. And so salvation is completely of God's grace, appropriated by faith. If I could say it this way, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And right here, right now, let's make this very clear. If you've believed that, then the Bible says you're saved. If there has been that, we say it this way, if there's been that time in your life, when you were confronted with the truth of God's word, that you're a sinner, that your sin condemns you before a holy God, but that same holy God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you can't, that he died the death you deserve in your place, that he was buried and rose again three days later, and if you will repent and trust Christ, God will save you and forgive you. If there's been that time in your life where you responded to that truth in faith, the Bible says you're a child of God. You're saved. You don't have to add works to it. You don't have to do works to keep it. You're not now, as a child of God, 
um, completing the work by doing work to to bring that transaction to the conclusion you're hoping for. You're not trying to to garner to yourself more of God's favor to make absolutely sure that God lets you into heaven when that time comes by doing good deeds. No, the work is done. Jesus said it from the cross, it's finished. All that needed to be done for redemption has been done. And you and I receive the benefit of it simply by believing through faith. But then Paul goes on in verse number 10. And he says these words, we are his workmanship. Okay, so if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a child of God by grace through faith, not of works at all. But now, if I can say it this way, you're God's project. God is working on you, and he is working in you. And why is God working on you and in you? To produce what? Good works. To produce good works. To make you look a little bit more like Jesus. That's what he's doing in you. And so, even as we look at Paul's writing here, Paul tells us there is a relationship of faith and works. But if we take Paul's words or James's words to mean that works are necessary for salvation, that would be to contradict the Bible says throughout elsewhere on the matter. That's not what the Bible proclaims. Salvation is completely the work of God that, that is appropriated simply through faith. And so we immediately toss that thought or belief out. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One described it this way, we are not saved by deeds, but we are saved for deeds. These are the twin truths of the Christian life, and Paul's whole emphasis was on the first truth. James's whole emphasis is on the second truth. And while you may look at it that way, I would say, no, Paul actually talked about that both. And I think James talks about both, too. And in reality, Paul said something very similar in chapters 2 and 3 of Titus. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So there's salvation. But then Paul says that same grace that brings salvation does something in us. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Paul says that grace that saves you, God who saves you, is also at work in you to produce something good 
in your life and through your life. Listen to how Paul says it in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. But after that, and if you look at verses 1 through 3, he talks about how bad we are away from God. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Stop there for just a moment. So what's Paul make clear? Are you and I saved by what we do at all? No. If you, if you read through, it's his kindness, his love, it's his mercy. It's not by anything. It's not works of righteousness at all. It's his mercy. It's the washing and regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's what he has shed on us through Jesus. We've been justified by his grace that we should be made heirs of eternal life. All of that happens because of his grace. Without any effort, any contribution on your part. But then look at what he says in verse 8. He says this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. What? Verses 4 through 7. That, that it's all of God's grace that we're saved. But then he says this. That they which have believed in God might be careful to what? Maintain good works. Paul says, I want you to remind people often about what God did for them in salvation. That it's his grace, his love, his kindness, his mercy shed on us through Jesus Christ. But remind people of this often that they'll be careful to maintain good works. Why? Notice what he says. These things are good and profitable unto men. These things are good and profitable unto men. What things? Well, the gospel for one. But then, the good works are good and profitable unto men. It's interesting. Paul talks regularly, too, about this connection, this relationship between faith and works, just like James does. So let's jump back to James chapter 2 and try to get an idea of what James is driving at. What do we do with what James talks about in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And I want to give you a few thoughts that come from the text and then tell us a little more about how we can apply it to our lives. Number one is this. I do want you to understand this. A profession does not necessitate possession. Look at James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren... Though a man what? Say he has faith. Would you admit that that word say is really important? 
James doesn't say if a man has faith and no works, the faith is dead. James says if a man say, if he says, if he claims to have faith and not works, there's a problem. Not everyone who professes Jesus has salvation. Now, we could, we could talk for a long time about all the reasons why someone might claim to know Christ who doesn't really know Christ, but that's not really the point. The point is to simply recognize that a profession of faith does not necessitate possession. I'm not saved because I profess to have faith. I'm saved if I actually have faith in Christ. And so James uses this to, to really help us to understand he's not, he's not identifying a believer here. He's not identifying, in this case, uh, someone who, who has faith. He, he is giving us a hint that there are times when someone may claim to have faith and they don't. And this could be saving faith. It, it could be just daily faith. If a person says, hey, I'm trusting God for that, but then all the evidence points to the contrary, are they really trusting God for that? Does that ever happen in your life? It doesn't have to be saving faith. Well, I'm, I'm trusting God to provide for me in this way. But then all the evidence points to, no, you're not really trusting God to provide for you in that way. You're doing everything you can to make it happen on your own. You're, you're worried and anxious about it. You're not really trusting God for it. Claiming to have faith does not mean that faith is present. And secondly, there is a person-to-person -person contextual element here. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? In verses 15 through 18, the analogy he gives, and then even this imaginary conversation in verse number 18 identifies this idea of not a person-to-God reference here, but a person-to-person. -person. Okay, so let me illustrate again. Go back to his analogy. If a brother or sister in Christ comes to me whether they're coming asking or not but i it's obvious to me they have a need go back to verses 1 through 13 they show up in gay clothing they're wearing a ring on their finger and i say oh man i want to give you a prominent place in god's house and then someone else shows up and it's clear they're a needy person they have needs to be met that I have the ability to meet, and instead I ignore them. Or I say, well, God bless you, brother. I hope he meets your need. And I don't do anything. Have I given any evidence to that brother or sister of faith in God? And the reality is, no, I haven't. I haven't done anything for them by saying, well, I hope God meets your need. I'll pray for you. I've not done anything at all to help them. And then in verse number 18, that imaginary conversation, 
show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works is again person to person so there is this contextual element in James chapter 2 and then I want you to see this because I think this is where we often get hung up this is really where I I hear and I see believers struggle with this passage in James chapter 2 what is called into question about whether or not a person has faith works so notice this don't miss this it is an absence of works not the presence of sin that is questioned it is an absence of works not the presence of sin that is questioned I have I have spoken with numerous believers who who've come to me anxious worried concerned about their salvation am I truly saved because of some sin they are struggling with and when I dig into it with them, regularly they'll take me to James chapter 2. Well, pastor, I'm struggling with this sin. James says, you know, my faith is dead, so I must not really be saved. Well, there's a problem. Because James doesn't say anything about the presence of sin, does he? He speaks of an absence of works. And can I show you how this is actually illustrated in his best example of faith and works? Who, who's, who's the example that takes up the most space for James? Abraham. He talks about Abraham's faith in God and how that was counted to him for righteousness. But it wasn't just that. It was the works specifically of offering Isaac on the altar uh, as God told him to. Okay, well, let's go back and examine the facts. Do you remember where Abraham trusted God and it was counted to him for righteousness? Anyone have an address? Genesis 15. Okay, go back there. I, I want you to look at it with me, would you? Go in your Bibles to Genesis 15. God has already made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Leave your land. Go to a land I'll show you. I'll bless those who bless you. Curse them that curse you. And through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We recognize that as a messianic promise. The Messiah is going to come from the line of Abraham. In Genesis 15 there's a there's a confirmation of the covenant between God and Abraham. And as God goes and he, he tells Abraham what's going to happen, and Abraham's questioning God, well, God, I don't have a child yet, I'm old. Is the steward of my house, this Eliezer of Damascus, going to be my heir? And God says, no, I'm going to give you a son. 
and look to the stars, count them if you can, look at the sand of the seashore, count it if you can. Your ancestors will be, your descendants, excuse me, will be as numerous as what you see. And the Bible says this in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Do you see that? Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. What's the address for when Abraham offers Isaac on the altar? Do you remember? That doesn't come until Genesis 22. Okay, so stop. Give me your attention or you miss this. James says, Abraham was justified, if I can say it this way, Abraham gave evidence of his faith by his work, specifically that work in Genesis 22. Abraham was not declared righteous by his works. When was he declared righteous? In Genesis 15, when he trusted God. Do you see that? Okay. In Genesis 22, that work of offering Isaac on the altar demonstrated his faith. Would you agree with that? I mean, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 4. Abraham's faith was so great in God that he believed, he literally believed, I'm going to slay Isaac and God's going to resurrect him. That's how this is going to go. My question is this. What happens between Genesis 15 and 22? A lot of stuff happens. I mean, just read through. Um, in Genesis 16, right after he believes and God counts it to him for righteousness, and God's renewed his promise, made the covenant, and Abraham believes God for that, Sarai comes knocking on the tent door. Hey, uh, Abraham, you're old, I'm old. This ain't going to happen between us. Here's my servant. Have relations with her and have a child by her. And Abraham says, okay. Now, would, are we in agreement that that's not good? Is everyone with me? That was bad. <laughs> that was wrong. Can I say it? It was sin. Everyone agree with that? It was sin. Go a little further. Genesis 17 Abraham's now 99. The Lord appears to him with the two servants and speaks to him um, about the covenant again, establishing it. Sarah laughs. By the way, after Abraham has already laughed, and God questions them about it. Sarah, why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Lie. Well, you know, she wasn't the only deceiver in the family. Abraham had already once gone to Egypt during a famine and lied to Pharaoh about his relationship with Sarah, right? Uh, look at uh, Genesis chapter 19. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 20. What happens here? Now Abraham goes somewhere else. He goes to another king and he says in verse number 2, Oh, she's just my sister. What do we call that? 
That's a lie. That's not true. Now, she, it was true, kind of. She was a half-sister, but he was hiding the reality that she was his wife from the king. And then we get to Genesis 22, and he demonstrates his faith in God by offering his son. Now, put that in James chapter 2 and this thought. It's the absence of works, not the presence of sin that is questioned. Am I minimizing sin? No. But I am reminding you that you and I are still broken people. We're still sinful people. Sin still dwells in your heart. It still dwells in my heart. We are capable, even if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are capable of dark, deceptive deeds. Get away from the Lord for just a little while and see what you're capable of. James is not saying there needs to be an absolute absence of sin. Otherwise, yeah. He's talking about an absence of works. And I'll admit, that conjures up questions in my mind. Okay, well, how many works are enough works to be the right kind of evidence of faith? And at, at what point does that does that is that enough? Is that good enough? Is it some ultimate test like the example of Abraham offering Isaac that we're talking about here? And I will admit to you that I believe that James deals more in in what we might call some gray area than clear black and white. Does that mean there's nothing that we can learn? The answer is no. I think that there are two really clear applications that we need to make. And number one is this. You should examine your faith. When you come across James chapter 2, you should examine your faith and ask yourself a couple of questions. Is it genuine? And by that, I mean, do you have saving faith? The only, listen, the only reliable source for determining salvation is the gospel. Your heart and my heart is not a reliable source for determining salvation. 1 John chapter 3, John wrote these words, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Your heart is capable of deception, including yourself. Your heart's not a reliable source. Friends, listen carefully. Feelings are not a reliable source of determining salvation. 
you might have woke up feeling great about your walk with the Lord this morning, and you might wake up tomorrow feeling like garbage in every way, shape, and form. Feelings aren't a reliable source. All of your activities are not a reliable source of determining salvation. Let me show you the flip side. Do you remember at the end of Matthew chapter 7, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, There will be many who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not... And then what do they do? They list a bunch of works. And Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. And interestingly... The same Christians who come to me with sin in their life and struggle with their salvation for James chapter 2 point at Matthew chapter 7, that passage. And again, it misses. Because those people in that day are proclaiming their good works. What's the problem? They've not trusted Jesus, they've trusted their good works. Just like we see many denominations and religions around the world practicing today. They're trusting good works to save them. And they're not going to. So even your works, if your idea to determine whether or not you're truly saved is to step back, and I know I, I need to end, is to step back and go, man, let me weigh my works to determine if I really know Jesus or not. It's not a reliable source. Ultimately, the most reliable source to determine, am I saved? is to go back to the gospel. What's the gospel say? You're a sinner. Jesus came, he died, he rose again. Believe in him and you will be saved. That is the gospel and that's the most reliable source to determine if your faith for salvation is genuine or not. And then I'd ask you to ask yourself this, is it your faith active? Is it working? Faith that is alive and active will make a difference in your life and in the lives of others around you. Because if you are living out your faith, it will benefit you and it will benefit others around you. Because then, when a brother who comes to you is needy, and you have the means to meet the need, you'll not just say, well, bless you, my child, I'll pray for you. You'll realize the time to pray is done, the time to do has begun. And you'll do something. You'll get involved. You'll serve God and serve others. And so if you're a believer in Christ, if, if you look at it tonight, you examine your faith and you say, I know the gospel. I know what the word of God says. And I've believed in Christ for salvation. Then your faith in that sense of saving faith is genuine. You've trusted Christ. But remember, only active faith will be meaningful in your life and in others' lives, living it out. 
And then if you examine it and you find, you know, I'm not a believer in Christ. Recognize God's favor to bestow forgiveness of sin and salvation comes only through believing in Jesus. It doesn't come through what you do, what you've done, what you may do. It only comes through faith in Christ. So believe to be saved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? this evening and for just a moment I'd ask you to ask yourself those two questions I've I've expressed my heart to some before when I preach it's my desire never to convince a saved person that they're lost or to convince a lost person that they're really saved the gospel is the only reliable source have you responded to the gospel And if you look and, and you find, you know, I, I've not responded to the gospel. I've not trusted Jesus alone for my salvation. I've made a profession, but, you know, I don't really know Christ. Then let God, by his Holy Spirit, show you that and respond as you need to. If you find that you are a believer, but your faith isn't active like it should be, it's not, it's not making a difference in your life and the lives of others as God would have it to, then that's something you need to face up to and deal with. 